Turn together to Psalm 118. Good to be with you guys tonight. Tonight we will close out a semester-long series on uh, different kinds of relationships that God has given us and uh, placed us in the midst of. Um, And the overarching theme here has been uh, that all of our relationships are... Created in the image of our God, who is himself a community of relationships. God is one God, but he exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And those three together uh, form this amazing uh, community. And we are made in that image. We are hardwired to be connected to people. And uh, those relationships have different titles. They come in our way in, in different forms and in different stages in life. And uh, it's just kind of always morphing and changing. But, but one of the things that doesn't change is the fact that, that we are meant to reflect the image of our Creator in the way that we are connected to each other and the ways that we interact with each other. And so whether we're talking about um, parent to child or child to parent or uh, husband to wife... And wife to husband, we're talking between friends, we're talking within a community group, within a uh, church covenant context, within you to to your co-workers, to your neighbors. Every relationship that we can come up with um, is meant to be a shadow of that reality. And sin has gotten in there and messed with that. And that's why a lot of times our relationships don't look like the relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit. But Jesus has come, we've been singing about this Uh, redemption that he has provided for us and this grace that he's brought to us. And a part of that is that those relationships can be refined and restored and with him, like in cooperation with his spirit at work, our relationships can begin to reflect the image of the one that we were made to to live in and walk in and uh, go back to that original design. So tonight, to bring the, the series to a close, I mean, we've talked about the Trinity, we've talked about friendship and marriage and parenting and uh, church context and uh, uh, your relationship to Jesus and, your, and his relationship to you. And we've talked about all those kinds of things. This one tonight is, is sort of maybe a little bit out there uh, because you have a relationship with yourself. And that, uh, that you know, might weird you out for a second. But if you think about it, you really do. Like, you have this... Uh, connection to like your inner being, like to your um, like your own identity, and you have this like dialogue in your mind all the time. I know you do, uh, and you're you know there are times when you're like something's going well, and you're like oh, you're so awesome, you know. And other times where it's like, why did you say that? I can't believe that you said that. I can't believe that you did that. And and there's just the, like how we relate to ourselves. It is in fact a very important relationship in our lives, and in in some ways, it, it's from your relationship to yourself that, that you are driven into those other kinds of relationships. I'm not saying that, that this is more important than the other ones, but it's definitely a, a big factor. And so, 
Uh, what I would like for us to do just for a few minutes together is to kind of look at how, um, how we're supposed to relate to ourselves. And um, so I start off the way that I've kind of been starting a lot of things off in terms of, of start looking at God himself. And how does God relate to God? Um, God is, is like the most secure being in the universe, right? Like he has, like, n- there's just no... Um, there's just no mistaking that God knows exactly who he is. From the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible, he's constantly showing us that his relationship to himself is uh, 100% intact. And here's a couple of examples. Um, in Exodus 4, um, this like this really well-known dialogue. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to look at the screens too. Exodus 4, 13 through 15. Um, he's talking with Moses here, and he says... He said, My Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Um, that's not the right one. Sorry, I, wrote, I gave uh, Andy the wrong things. As I was reading it, I was like, this isn't it. So I kept thinking, like, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll come around. It's, I'm sorry, it's chapter 3. I get my threes and my fours mixed up. I'm sorry. Um, so it's chapter 3, starting at 13. Uh, so then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, you, they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. If someone's going to say, like, what should, you know, what's the, what should I tell them your name is? And just, like, just tell them, I am. That's a pretty confident statement, and it's in all caps in your Bible. So, God is really secure in who, in who he is. He says, just tell him, I am has sent me to you. And he goes on to continue to establish his name. He's constantly with Israel telling them, I am, like, I am your God. You are my people. Uh, there isn't any sort of like, well, I don't really know. I'm still figuring myself out. You know, like God doesn't have to go through that journey of self-discovery. He knows who he is. We see it all throughout the Bible. We see it in Leviticus 20, 26. I'm pretty sure this one is right. Um, in 2026, it's another one of those places of dialogue, and God describes himself um, as being holy. Uh, and when God knows who he is, and a part of his self-description, he talks about his holiness. So he tells them, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the people that you should be mine. And so in describing himself, he's like, Look, I am perfect. I am absolutely perfect. And you are my people, and so you are to be holy, perfect, separate from sin, pure, completely unlike any other people, because I am completely like any other God. He absolutely knows who he is over and over and over again. At the end of the Bible, uh, Revelation 1, verse 8, God is, is trying to help everyone understand this like massive role that he plays in history and just the, in, the infinite nature of God. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God, who, what, who is and who was and who is to come, uh, 
the Almighty. Um, God is absolutely secure in his relationship to himself. We see that in God. We see that in, with, with Jesus being completely secure in being like God the Son. As he's praying to the Father, as he's sending the Spirit, uh, as he is obeying the Father, we see the Father, Son, and Spirit each playing their role, each embracing uh, their, their like, place in, within their own community and their role in the history of redemption. There, is, like, there isn't any sort of insecurity that you find there. So we're made in the image of this God who is completely secure. And that's what I want to kind of focus in on tonight. Is the, is, here's this God, and we're made in his image, and he knows who he is, and he's completely secure in his identity. We were made in his image to be completely secure in our own identity. That's God's design for us. And a part of what was broken in the garden... When, when man rebelled against God was that brokenness that we carry with us. Um, it, it has broken all of our relationships to God and to each other and to creation, but it's broken our relationship to ourself as well. And it has sent us on this journey of looking for significance and validation and identity and worth. Um, it has sent us on this quest for security to try to find it somewhere. We see it all, all throughout the Bible. I wrote some examples down. Um, you have Adam and Eve were hiding in the trees because they were ashamed. That's an internal thing. The way it showed up externally was them hiding, but their shame was internal. They were ashamed of themselves. Their relationship to themselves was now broken. Uh, Cain killed Abel. That's insecurity. Abraham was insecure about being elderly. Uh, Isaac and Ishmael were insecure about the birthright. Jacob and Esau, the same thing. Moses and, and Aaron, Moses was comparing himself to Aaron. Didn't want to go and speak because he thought that Aaron was more eloquent. He was self-conscious of his ability to speak. Uh, Saul was threatened by David. Uh, David was a wreck so much of the time, as you see in the Psalms. Uh, how he just like flip-flops back and forth. Like one Psalm, he's like, you know, completely confident in who God is and what God's doing. And another one, he's like, I'm a worm, you know. Um, Peter denied, his denial of Christ was this, this fear that sent him on this pathway of insecurity, the competition among the disciples. Paul wrestling with his own past. We see all throughout the Bible these men and women who are filled with insecurity on a quest to, to really uh, be restored in their relationship to themselves. And we were born into that same pattern, you know. And so from a young age, we, we are taught to find our security and our sense of self-awareness in, in certain places. And uh, you, you know, you're, I've talked about this before. It's like you're, you're trying to find your, what kind of where you are in the pack and where you stack up compared to people your age and stuff. And that doesn't, it's not just a, a thing when you're a little kid. It just happens and keeps happening and keeps happening all the way through. And... Uh, I wrote down a couple of, of just general areas where it seems that that quest for security tends to take us. Uh, a lot of times we find that security in, like in a person or in a group of people. And um, John Ortberg uh, wrote a book that was very influential on a couple of us in here, I know, because we were all in college when we read it. And uh, he talks about like, our addiction to a, people's approval and how that's like, just such a common thing that all of us kind of, we're kind of hooked on it. You know, how 
there are people who can affirm you, and it just like puts you like like you know on the mountaintop. And there are people who will criticize you or uh, critique you in some way, and it just ruins you. But then there are a lot of people in your life where you don't really care what they think. And so Ortberg talks about how we have a like a like in a courtroom, like a jury box, you know, that we all have, you know, maybe it's 12, uh, maybe it's, you know, whatever. But we have this, like, a group of people that if we were to sit down and make a list, um, we could come up with this box of people, and it's their opinion that swings us back and forth, you know? Like, you probably have those people that if they are like, oh, you look nice today, and, you know, whatever, that's fine. But then some people, if they tell you you look nice, you're like, oh, yes, I do. You know, you've just convinced me. Um, that, you know, so maybe your parents are in there, maybe one of your parents is in there, maybe it's a, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a best friend, um, maybe it's, uh, yeah, it could, be, it could be anybody. But we, we all have those people, and for some reason, a word from them, one way or the other, um, can build us up or it can completely destroy us. And it's because we have found security in those people's approval and we have found insecurity in their disapproval. And so when you're an approval addict, like most of us are, Ortberg says, like, you're basically putting on a show all the time to try and keep that group of people approving of you so that you feel, like, secure. You don't feel threatened. You don't, like, like it makes you like yourself more. And we all like to like ourselves. And so um, we end up sometimes, like, just... Uh, selling out to keep those people happy or end up compromising our beliefs or who we are, um, or we end up letting the, you know what they say on a, like be much more influential in our lives than what Jesus says or than what a, a prayerful community has to say or what the Bible says or whatever. And so, uh, so that's one place that we can all uh, kind of start to trace back our quest for security is in certain people. And what they have to say about us. And I always I think about that jury box idea. And uh, it's very challenging to me. Because no matter. I mean you want to keep kicking people out of it. But they're there. You know. They are just there. And, and so there must be something more than just being like. Well I don't care what they think. You know? It has to be about more than that. And you went to Psalm 118. Look at verse 5. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Wouldn't wouldn't you love to be that like that's where you are, you know? It's like I don't know, what can what can man do to me? Who cares what people think about me? Um, who cares what they have to say? What can what can they do to, what can man do to me? Um, verse six The Lord is on my side, uh, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. Uh, not a person, not someone's opinion, not their approval, whatever. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my strong rescuer. Uh, he is on my side. Um, then the second half of verse 7, I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Okay, that's another sermon. Um, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. I mean, this, I think all of us want to be there. You know, we want to be those kinds of people. Say, no, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my strength. I really don't care what people have to say about me or to me. 
And that's not to say that, you know, I don't mean that in a, like, missional, like, relationship of being a conduit of grace to bring people into a relationship with the Lord. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, the approval of people bullying us around. I think we all want to be in a place where we're like, you know what, it doesn't, it just doesn't manipulate me. Like, he's the one. So I'm like, how do, you, how do you get there? Well, some of it is coming to terms with the fact that, that we have those people that, whose approval makes us secure or insecure. It's not always just people. Sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's like possessions that we have. You know, there's, there are things that you acquire. And for some reason, and maybe, maybe this has a lot to do with where most of us were born and raised here uh, in America, that, that like things make us really secure. Uh, or make us really insecure. And um, like I was watching a show the other day, and this kid was, he was like, uh, he didn't want to wear this particular shirt because they got it at like an outlet mall or something. It had like a defect on it. And everyone's going to like mock him or something. And, um, and I was like, I remember, I remember that, like that stage of life where like name brand clothes became like a thing. And if you had some sort of knockoff where it was like, it wasn't the polo guy, it was like a, um, it was like a, a knight on a horse with like a jousting thing, you know? And like, if you got close, you could tell. Uh, that was like a thing that people were like, uh, you know, they didn't want to, but they still wanted to, I don't know, what am I, I don't even know what I'm saying. But, but there, we go through those times where, when you are growing up and for some reason, like what you're wearing becomes something that makes you really secure, really insecure. And how you look makes you secure or insecure. And uh, those like possessions, it could be clothes. And then as, as you get older, it becomes like maybe what you drive or where you live or how much money you make or whatever. And these, these things that we have give us this sense of like, yeah, I've, either I've made it or I'm making it or I'm a complete failure. You know, it swings us one way or the other. And then you start comparing yourself to people and it just, you just get so bullied around and it's like, you can just swing back and forth. And so when you are finding your security in things that you have or don't have, and those people in that jury box are weighing in on that as well, then that search for significance and security becomes this just nightmare of, uh, of a journey for us. And then sometimes it's just, it's just like concepts, you know, it's just ideas uh, that make us secure, you know, so... Um, your like self-image, that's an, that's an idea that you have. And so you're like, oh, I'm really, I'm really secure because I like what I see when I look in the mirror. Or I'm really insecure because I don't like what I see when I look in the mirror. And so you either like, start trying to look better or you, you, know, you know, whatever, you go on this journey of, and it's all about appearance. It's all about appearance. And um, that becomes something that swings back and forth. Or for some people, it's, it's like safety, you know. There's like parts of, a, of our city you won't go into because you think that they are not safe. And so if you can stay isolated in the safe places, then that makes you like secure. It makes you kind of like relax a little bit. And then you realize that there are no safe places. You know, like this is not how the world works. And so sometimes it's that. Some, we've seen a lot of people with, with the government sw- like swing in the election and stuff. People... Um, celebrating or, or freaking out and that kind of stuff. And I'm not talking about the social commentary side of it. I mean, just the amount of security people put in government and in certain things. Um, you might, might not laugh at this, but you might. Last Sunday, so our kids' ministry buys a curriculum, and it's like, it's like coming out, like we, don't have, we have nothing to do with it. It's just whatever is next. 
And the lesson last Sunday, the first Sunday after the election, the title was, Nehemiah Builds a Wall to Keep the Community Safe. (laughs) And so, uh, they did some editing just to kind of make sure. So, uh, you know, but there are these things where there are, like, you see where we're finding security. and, And that, like, you might think I'm leaping to go from national security into, like, relationship to self, but isn't it all, isn't it all connected? I mean, isn't there a part of us that feels like uh, you feel greater self-worth when you're physically safe or when you have certain things? Um, some of you, it's control. Like, that's what makes you secure is being able to control things. And so you freak out when you don't have control over something and you get, you get angry, you just, like, you know, like, lose your mind and it's because, like, you... Like things are happening around you and there's nothing you can do about it. And that makes you insecure because you think, I should be able to deal with this. You know? I should be able to control this. Um, those kind of things are, are like that. Acceptance is a big one. Um, just power. And, and there's just all these kinds of things and, and, and places and all these examples. I could just keep coming with them forever. But it's weird how we're, we're basically we're trying to make... Uh, we're trying to put all the right ingredients together out of all these different things to make us feel like, okay, I genuinely like who I am because I have the things that I want. Um, my life looks the way that I think it needs to look. And the people in that box are all approving of, like, who, I, of who I am and what I look like and what I'm doing. And so all, the, all those things swirled together are like, okay, um, I am secure now in who I am. And then one of those ingredients changes, and then you're not secure in who you are anymore. And so what happens is you end up, Cain ends up killing Abel, and uh, Saul ends up trying to kill David, and uh, Peter ends up denying Jesus. And like all those like brokenness toward ourselves ends up manifesting in all these things. And all of it is because that's not how God designed you and I to live. God wants you to know who you are. He wants you to be secure in who you are and to find your security in the right places. And it is not in the, in the approval and disapproval of a group of people. It is not in what you have. It is not in what you look like. And it's not in what, how successful you think that you are. It's not about what your parents think about you. It's not about what, your, um, what people think at your high school reunion about you. It's not about any of those kinds of things. None of that fits into you being secure in who he's made you to be. And so how do we get to that place of being in Psalm 118 where we're like, you know what? The Lord, he is my refuge. He is my strength. He is my helper. What can man do to me? What can the economy do to me? What can national security do to me? What can my uh, Facebook friends from high school who I never talked to and don't really care about, what, do, what, what can they do? What can anything, what can you, I'm untouchable in those ways. I know exactly who I am. God knows who he is. I know who I am. How do we get to that point? Um, well, I don't know. That's a bad sermon. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. <laughs> I don't know, but I think that Paul has, I think he knows. And maybe we can know if he knows. And when I say I don't know, it's basically because I'm saying, like, don't act like, don't hear me saying I'm the most secure person in the world in front of you. Okay? Like, we're, I'm a fellow traveler on this journey. I have my jury box, just like you have your jury box. 
and I have my places and uh, ideas that make me feel secure. And I also know that the wheels come off every single time when I look at those things as my helper. And so Paul, in 2 Corinthians, um, you know, several years ago, we went verse by verse through this whole book. And um, you probably don't remember that, and that doesn't hurt my feelings. So just as a recap, you know, Paul had started the church in Corinth, and he had uh, kept up with them via correspondence, and they were having some problems, and so he was kind of discipling them from afar. And this is the fourth, the fourth letter that, ex- that existed, but we only have two of them. And um, one of the things that was happening is that the, the people of Corinth were trying to discredit Paul. And they were saying that he was crazy. They were saying he didn't have the right credentials. They were saying that he was, um, they're just trying to get to where his uh, ministry was ineffective with the people that he had discipled and trained. And they were really confused by that. And so they were just asking him. They're like, hey, man, people are saying some stuff about you. And they're, and they're just constantly telling us that we shouldn't listen to you and, and all that. And so Paul is addressing in this part of the letter the, that sort of you know, critique. Um, so look at verse 12 in chapter 5. It says, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So, Paul can, he can relate to this quest that we have to find security and validation in all these like, other things. The way that he puts it there in that verse is boasting, he kind of, it's either the outward appearance or the heart. And so he's writing to them and he's saying, look, I, um, I want to build your confidence in, like, in me being a reliable source you know, for these things. And I want to help you be able to answer those who are completely obsessed with the, with the external stuff instead of like, the heart. So Paul, you know, his background is, is uh, he really has all the credentials. Like he a, was a pretty brilliant guy. Um, and, a, and a Jewish scholar and a persecutor of Christians and did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And uh, was, he, was, he was really like a, a figure at that time. And his conversion to Christianity was a, kind of a big deal in terms of, like, let's just say like he was, he was like a I hate Christians, let's, all kill, let's kill them all kind of guy. And then he went to being one of those very ones who was like, you can kill me if you want, but Jesus is Lord. He went like a big change. And so he's somewhat saying like, look, I want to help you answer those people. Like I know what it's like to come up against those who are only concerned about the outward appearance and not the heart. So we should pay attention to this because that's a great summary of, of what we're talking about. Is the, is the external things that, that lead us to be secure in who we are when what we really want is we want like the, we want the heart. That's that's the focus. That's what we are are made for. Um, Jesus preached against it. We see it in the when they were, when Israel wanted a king and they went and picked the tallest guy they could find. You know, and God was like, I'm not worried about the outward appearance. That's 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 what man looks at. God says, I look at the heart. Jesus told the Pharisees, You're all about the, the external stuff when I'm all about the heart. And Paul is saying, Look. In that quest, in that like tendency that humans have to be obsessed with the outward appearance, let me help you answer 
Verse 13. For if, if, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. So some of the critique people were saying that Paul, they were like, man, dude, he's crazy. You know? Like he's literally out of his mind. And some of it was, was a critique of, of um, maybe ob- observance of, of like Christian practices. And so, sure, if someone is not a Christian and they walk into a room full of people that are singing, uh, they're singing about blood and they have their hands in the air, you know, that's weird, right? Can we just say that that's strange? And so that was some of the, the critique is there's this, like they're like, like finding all these things to mock in his ministry about himself, in the worship of the church, in all these kinds of things, saying that he was, was crazy. And Paul is saying, look, if I'm out of my mind, like if I'm not, like, like that's for the Lord. So who, who cares, you know? So if someone were to come into this room and we're singing about the blood and they're like, oh, that's super weird. Uh, well, we're not singing for them in that moment, are we? Like it's, not, it's, not about, it's, not, it's not what it's about. But he's saying, but, but when, when I'm focused on things, um, if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. So there are times when I'm like in my right mind, as they're saying, and that's, that's the missional part. That's, that's the for you part. And so there are, there are parts of us that are just for the Lord. And then there are parts of us from that just for the Lord time that then we dial in with people. And so you can start to see him separate a little bit of like, you have an inner life and you have an outer life. And for your outer life to count, it comes from the inner life. Um, Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Now that's 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 a clue for us in terms of how do you move toward that Psalm 118 place? How do, you, how do you move towards being the kind of person who finds their security in what God says about you and that alone? He says, for now, like he's come to this place where he's like, well, the love of Christ like, controls me. I'm not controlled by what those people think. I'm not controlled by um, their outward appearance things. I'm not controlled by what they say or how I look or my credentials or you know, any of those, those criticisms or whatever. I'm not controlled by that. I'm controlled by the love of Christ. One of the commentaries I read said it's like a, it's like a, a, a ship coming into a narrow channel that's just like forced into this, like, this one like strait. Or like when, the, when you see cattle being herded up to like transport them somewhere and there are, there's a bunch of them, they funnel down and then there's like a single file line up into the thing. That's the, it's this controlling thing. So one key for us, what Paul is sharing here, is that to go from, from the, being obsessed with the outward appearance to being controlled by the love of, of Christ is, is like recognizing the difference between those things. Saying something is going to control you. The opinion of that jury box is going to control you, or the love of Christ is going to control you. What is channeling you and focusing you down? And it's a strong word. Like it, like it controls me now. And so perhaps some of our struggle with security is we're letting the wrong things control us. Maybe we do. Maybe we are like giving too much of an ear to people and what they think. 
Maybe we're obsessing over possessions too much or, or uh, stewing about certain ideas and certain things that make us secure or insecure. Maybe, maybe, our, maybe we're, we're spending too much time in all those outward appearance realms instead of being like, okay, I want to be controlled by the love of Christ. Like That's what I want. And that happens in prayer. It happens in the scriptures. It happens in the, the disciplines. It happens in Christ-centered community that talks about real things. It's probably part of why there are times when you're gathered together on Sunday nights and the love of Christ is controlling you. I get real. It's your mind and heart are ordered. And there's peace. And then it's easy when we leave here and other things come into where it's... It's almost like you're like backing out of that ship channel or out of that like cattle funnel or whatever. Like it's there's so many more factors. And so if you want if you want that secure relationship with yourself, a part of it is coming to Jesus and saying, I need your love to be the controlling factor in my life. And that's what I that's where I need to get. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul's saying, you know what really changed my life? Is the love of Christ controlling me and helping me realize that I'm dead. (laughs) That my life is not mine anymore. And that through his death I died, and through his resurrection I was resurrected. And now my life can be for him, from him. And by him and through him. Like this was a this was a, a major shift for Paul. And so what we're talking about in terms of of self awareness and your relationship to yourself is not like I, well, it is a it is absolutely a theological issue. Like it is realizing like what has Jesus done for me? And when that begins to happen, like Paul is sharing with them, like that that changed things for me. Because he goes on, he says, from now on, verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him, we regard him thus no longer. So he's saying, yeah, like I used, to, I used to do that too. Like I used to be super into uh, credentials and what people had to say about you and people's approval and, and like the skills that you would have and being a good speaker and, and like being really, really smart. And I used to be really like caught up in all those things. I used to regard everyone that way. I even did that to Jesus. But now, I don't even think that way anymore. Like I, I have a completely different perspective. And why? Verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And that's the that's what we're dealing with now. Do you know why that's not why I don't operate that way anymore? Because that's not who I am anymore. Like I'm literally not the person that I used to be. I used to find my security in those things, and now I don't. Why? Because it's just not me anymore. Like that's that person literally died. And this new life that I walk in is not my own life. It's the life of, of Jesus. His love controls me. And so now when people are critical of me and people are trying to discredit me, I, I see what's going on. I, I, I know what's going on there. I don't buy into that. That's not who I am. 
That doesn't define me anymore. You can say whatever you want. And his whole ministry, you know, he's in and out of he's in and out of trouble with the law, you know, and they're constantly like persecuting him, and he has all these bad things happen to him, and, and then all these amazing things happening too, and it's just he's like, whatever, you know. If I'm being in prison for my faith, okay, I'm being in prison. I'm gonna witness to the guy, you know, witness to the to the prison guards. And they can come in and they can hit me and they can do whatever they want to me, but what you going to do? There's a coach at Parkview Baptist used to say, he would say, what you going to do to a dead man? And I never understood what that meant for a long time. And I was like, oh, okay, I see. He's saying the same thing. What can man do to me? The, the love of Christ controls me. I'm not the one I used to be. I'm in Christ, so I'm a new creation. The old has literally passed away, and the new has absolutely come. There's an author named uh, Dwight Edwards that uh, was very influential on me. When I, he's one of the first people I ever heard talk about identity and a new covenant and everything. And he would talk about how a lot of Christians feel like they feel like they're just like costume jewelry, you know. It's like, well, you are you're not a very valuable material. But Jesus has come in, he's made you shiny and pretty, you know. And, he, and now, so you feel like that's who you are. It's like, oh, cool, well, now I have Jesus on, Jesus is, like, covering me, and so I get to, like, sneak into heaven under his, like, righteousness and his veil, you know. And, um, but, but you never really make the transfer of, like, the, and he's, it has nothing to do with you, it has everything to do with just him. And so... Christians live that way, and so whenever whenever you are finding your security in 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 these like weird places, it's because well, that's just that's who you think you are. You know, I'm just I'm just doing what is a reflection of my identity. He says, if you take like the scripture seriously, and, and you take verse seventeen seriously, that you are a new creation; the old has passed away, the new has come. He says, the better way of thinking of it is is not that we are costume jewelry. That has like some Jesus like sparkly stuff on the outside, but that we are now we're we're like pieces of silver, and maybe there's some tarnish on there, you know, like maybe we aren't pristine, maybe we're maybe we have our struggles and we have like some of those things that have us dulled a little bit, but you're you're still silver. That Jesus is polishing you and he's refining you and. And he's shining you up, you know. But if you just think you're costume jewelry, then you know what? At the end of the day, we're going to act like that. We're going to walk in that. We're going to believe that. We're going to seek validation and worth and security in all these other kinds of places. Because we think that's who we are. And Paul looks at us and through this verse and says, You are not the one that you used to be. You are absolutely a new creation. James Bryan Smith says it's like, it's like a butterfly saying it's just a, wing, a worm with wings. Isn't that like the weirdest thing that makes so much sense? You know, if we're not deeply convinced that He has changed us, that the old has passed and the new has come, then it's going to continue to make sense for us to find our self worth in all these other kinds of places. But if we can bring ourselves before the Lord, and we can say, I, I, I believe that you have done this to an, extent, to an extent I believe it. 
Would you help my unbelief? Would you help get me to the point where I really do believe that I'm silver that just needs some polishing instead of costume jewelry that just needs another layer of sparkly Jesus stuff? Watchman Nee uh, wrote this book, and I don't recommend it, but I do recommend this one page. Uh, And I've talked about it before, but he said it's like a like a thermos asking God to, to make him a thermos. You know, it's like, would you make me a thermos? Would you give me the ability to keep, keep cold things cold and hot things hot? And would you give me a top that's also a cup, you know? And uh, would you make me fit inside a lunchbox really conveniently for kids and um, that kind of stuff? It's like, it's so dumb. Why would a thermos ask God to make it a thermos when it's already a thermos? And that's so many times how we bring ourselves before the Lord in, in terms of the posture of our hearts, it's so easy to f- fail to recognize the truth of what Paul is talking about here. That God has made you different. Like you are not the one that you used to be. And so now we have this new inner life. And now our outward life has to catch up with the inward life. And so, yeah, over time, your behaviors should change. Over time, your security should be found more and more in Jesus. God wants you to be secure. He just wants you to be the right kind of secure. He didn't make you, to find your, make you or me to find our security in that box, that jury box of people, or in the things that we have, or the clothes that we wear, or how we look or our relationship status, or if you're a parent or not a parent, or if you're uh, just whatever it is, like choose your, choose your security model, whatever your mixture of things is, and none of it, God would say, yeah, that's how I made you to live. God would look and say, you know what? Uh, I sent my son to die so that you could be this new creation, which is really the way that you were made to be the whole time. God wants us to be as secure as he is. And he sent Jesus to make it happen for us. And so I believe that we can learn from what Paul is saying. That we can, can bring ourselves before the Lord and say, okay, in my own control, I'm letting all these other things control me. But I want to do like Paul. I want the love of Christ to control me. To believe that I died. And I was raised again to walk in new life, as a new creation. That the old has really passed away, and that the new really has come. And that I really am a hunk of silver. That that's my identity. And that through knowing you and letting you refine me, that I can, can, be, uh, can go from that tarnished, you know, a saint who acts like a sinner, to being like a saint who acts like a saint, because that's who... You really are. And it's a journey. And so I know that none of us are going to automatically leap to security tonight, you know, because we've been trained to find it in other places for so long. Jesus can retrain us. That's what he wants to do. And Paul is going to always come down to, like, look at, look at who Jesus is and look at what he has done and let him mold you and shape you. And so if you are, like, if you are listening to this kind of stuff and you're like, 
thinking through the different parts of your life where you tend to look for validation and security and worth and identity and all those kinds of things, then maybe, maybe we can start by just asking Jesus, can you, help, can you help me to begin a process of pushing those to the side so that your love can control me, so that you can be the voice that I listen to, so that you can be my helper and my refuge, so I can get to a place where I really believe, what can, what can man do to me? What can anything else do to me? What you say about me is who I am. Maybe we just need to let him either initiate that, that process or continue that process. Maybe we need to repent of some things. Maybe we need confession to just tell him, I'm so sorry that I have been looking to this person or this group of people or this thing, or this idea, or I've been looking in the mirror, or whatever it is, I've been looking on all these places to find something that you're holding out to me the whole time. And we confess it, we accept his forgiveness for that, and we walk in the new life that he provides. And so perhaps taking communion tonight is a, a way for you to take a step in that direction. Maybe you want to come pray down here, maybe, um, maybe you want to pray where you are, maybe just singing for you, whatever it is for you, we're going to take these next few moments as we close and respond. And so Adam's going to come serve communion tonight. And this communion, from here on out, is gluten-free. And uh, we have found a gluten-free bread. Um, and, and the reason why we do that is because there are some folks who are they're that you know, allergic to it. And so we want to be accommodating. We found one that, uh, that like works across the board. So if you have a, a gluten intolerance... Come on down. Uh, We would welcome you. But as we are in line together, there is a commonality that we find that this is a struggle for all of us. And the solution is the same. So let's stand together as the band comes back up. Let me pray for us. God, I'm uh, very grateful that we can learn from Paul. Uh, For some reason, there's people in the Bible that kind of like him that we hold in such high regard that we it's easy to lose sight of the fact that he, he fought the same battles that we're fighting. I'm so thankful for the truth that you led him to and that we're, we're sitting here reading his words all these years later. And so could you teach, him, could you teach us the same lessons that you taught him so long ago? Would you help us to be controlled by your love? Would you help us to lose our obsession with the outward and to just draw near to you as the one who defines us? This is a pattern of our world that we have grown up with, but we hate it. We want want to live in the fullness of all that you provide through the cross. So perhaps tonight, God, could you, could you use the songs and the, the prayers and communion to maybe nudge us in the right direction or to encourage us to keep going uh, in that direction. So I pray, God, as we respond in different ways that you would help us just to meet with you in very personal ways in the coming minutes. You can prepare us for what you have ahead.
love you. We pray these things in the name of Christ.